Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you say amen to that? I hope so. Let's always be reminded that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's seated at the right hand of God, <clears throat> and he rules over mankind, even over his enemies. I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 17, and as we read the word, once again, let us rise and stand in awe of the Holy Scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may sit down. I have something to say to you. Amen. Let's back up a little bit here to get the background. What Paul is talking about, if we can get the first uh, slide here. This is to get the logistics down. Paul is, here is, here is the, the man in Greece, the contact, etc. So Paul is um, writing to the Thessalonians. And he had his house in And that they received the word with much readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things that Paul was speaking were true. So now Paul is writing to the Thessalonians from actually Corinth, again, another city, and he traveled all these different places, and he's writing a letter back to the Thessalonians. So that's the context there that I want to lay before you. Now, if we can get the next slide here, we want to talk about the heart of Paul first and foremost. Since he says in verse 17, we were torn away from you brothers. What is he referring to? He's referring back to the book of Acts 17 that records Paul's presence in the city of Thessalonica and how he brought the gospel before the, the Jews particularly there, but also Gentiles that were coming together to hear the word of God. The Gentiles became interested and some were getting saved People of noble character, women, honorable women they're described, were receiving the gospel and believing, and the Jews became envious. And it tells us in that chapter, in verse 5 of Acts 17, the Jews were jealous. They gathered a bunch of thugs. They formed a mob. They disrupted the city, and they attacked Jason's house where the apostle Paul was. But they did not find him there, and Paul was forced to leave Thessalonica, and he had to go to Berea, a nearby, well, a distant town, but he had to move on. So when he says he was torn away from you, he is referring to this angry mob 
that was coming, searching for him to kill him, and he had no choice, and the brethren were forcing him to have to leave because of his own safety. And he describes it that he was actually torn away. It grieved him that he had to leave the people who God used or who, who, who was used of God in the salvation of these people. You know, Paul was very attached to the people that he was presenting the gospel to. And when people became born again, they almost became instantly his children, his spiritual children. There was a strong bond and connection that he felt with fellow believers now who were now united to Christ. Can you imagine what it must have been for Paul to go and spread the gospel? And here he's relatively, he's new at this. I mean, he had been a Jew. He was a a rabbinic type of a scholar. He knew Judaism. He was zealous for God. But he had no knowledge and no belief that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, was crucified in an atoning sacrifice, was buried and rose again and ascended into heaven. And now he's given the charge after meeting the Lord Jesus to go into the world and testify about this Christ. And when he presented it and showed them out of their own scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, it says that many believed. How impressive that must have been for Paul to see the effectiveness of the Word of God. It's powerful. The scriptures have life-transforming power. The scripture says how forcible are right words. There's no words that are more grander and no more powerful and dynamic than the scriptures in preaching Christ and him crucified. So here Paul preaches Christ crucified, and it says, And many hear and they believe. Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance And then he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. I want to underscore that word that goes back to verse 6 of chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Their conversion resulted not only in their salvation. When someone gets born again, it's not merely that your sins have been forgiven and that you're bound for heaven and it's a guarantee and a certainty that the word of God gives you. Praise the Lord for that but it also has individual, personal, transforming power that changes your life. And what does it become like? Paul says, when you receive the gospel, it transforms you to become imitators of us. That's who I want to talk about. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Those are the three corporate, three brothers that are writing to, to the Thessalonians. Paul being the primary writer, of course is saying to the Thessalonians, you became imitators of us. When you got converted, you may have realized that too, because I remember before I was converted, and I met born-again people, and I said, I could never be like them. Did you ever think like that? I could never be like that. I couldn't do that. I wouldn't want to do that. And then when the Lord saved me, I found myself among like-minded people, that I became like the Lord. I got saved, but then I became like other people who were born again, and I followed right in line. I didn't have to be kind of cookie-cuttered, you know. I didn't have to go through the assembly line in some kind of legalistic discipline of sorts to have to follow, but it was the internal changes that was taking place in my life. So here the Thessalonians get converted, and they become imitators of the apostle Paul. 
imitators. You might think, as I did when I first started reading the Bible, and I'd read about the lives of these men of God, these apostles particularly, and early disciples, and I scratched my head and I said, man, they must have been really special. They must have been super holy to be able to live like this. If Jesus gave them his commandments, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I saw his commandments and I thought, boy, that must be for the uh, the ministers, the priests, the holy people, but not for me. But then when the Lord saved me, I found myself being like the apostles. Now that sounds radical, doesn't it? But in reality, if Paul's telling the Thessalonians who were idol worshipers, that's what he, he describes, how you turn to God from idols and they became imitators or mimickers of the apostle himself and the other apostles, Silas and Timothy, that he unites in this epistle. So there's amazing transforming power that takes place. So Paul is very saddened by the fact that he had to be torn away from from you brothers for a short time. And he says in person, in other words, he physically was removed from them, but he never left them in spirit. His heart was still there. He left his heart with the Thessalonians and his heart was beating there in spirit, though he was physically removed from the Thessalonians. He says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. He was concerned about what, would, what has happened since he left. They didn't have the kind of technology we did today uh, to get word right away. It had to come by way of delivering physical letters or, or oral communications that were sent down by way of donkeys or horses or whatever. It didn't come speedily. So there was anxiety from Paul about what was the condition of the Thessalonians. And when he says that with great desire to see you, it's interesting that that word in the Greek is the same word that's used for lust, which seems kind of ironic. This is obviously not an erotic kind of a desire that Paul had for the Thessalonians. But it was a deep, deep compassion that he had inside of him for them. That's the kind of people God, Jesus Christ, sent. And this is how attached they became to the people of God that we, with great desire to see you face to face. Seeing them face to face to them would be far better than hearing word from others, he wanted to physically be in their presence and to see how they were doing. In verse 18, he says, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, I wanted to come to you. But there was a reason why he could not get there. Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Before we get to Satan's hindering, let's look a little bit about the heart of Paul. Here are different passages I want to quickly go through to show you how bound up he was in love for his fellow believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked and apart from other things. There is a daily pressure on me of, notice this, my anxiety for all the churches. How unselfish of the apostle. He was going through all of these 
torturous things. He, before these verses, he talks about having been stoned, how he had been flogged, how he was treated so maliciously, all, all the setbacks that he had. But one of the ones on the list is my anxiety for all the churches. Here in Acts 15, 36, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers. Again, it shows the heart of the apostle in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord. He didn't have any vacation. He didn't, he didn't retire. He didn't say the work's done. Let us go and visit the believers in the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. See how they are doing. Next, I want to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I want to visit you, etc. I'll skip down to another one. Uh, for I long to see you. Again, I've often intended to come to you. These are different portions. Romans, Philippians here. Having a genuine concern for your welfare. He says that to Timothy. I have no one like-minded who will naturally care for you. Paul found somebody that had a care like, like himself. That was Timothy who cared because the next verse it says, For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. What a heart Paul had for God's people. Next slide. How do we get to that one, Michael? Okay, go ahead. Wait, here we are. Don't talk to the pastor like that. Okay. But Satan hindered us, Paul says. Satan hindered us. Now, you would think that if the Lord had sent him on a journey to carry out a mission, that that journey would be completed, that the Lord would see that everything went well. He would, it would be smooth sailing. There'd be no problems. We find that to be different, don't we, when we see it happens when we trace the travels of Paul in the book of Acts, his two or three different missionary journeys that are mentioned in the book of Acts. He has problem after problem, persecution. He has travel difficulties. The Holy Spirit even one time had to intervene and forbade Paul to go in a certain direction. But in this instance, remember, he... He's urgent. He's desirous. He has a strong passion to want to go back and to see the Thessalonians face to face. You would think that the Lord would intervene and say, that reason Paul has for those Thessalonians is because I put that in their heart. Therefore, the Lord would open up a way for him. You know, sometimes it's difficult to perceive how God could put us on a journey, on a mission, and we have troubles or difficulties or snags that are on the road of life. And Paul could have said to the Lord, Lord, why are you allowing Satan to do this to me? What could it have been that hindered Paul by Satan to not be able to carry out his desire to return to them? And here's a couple passages that are worthy to look at. Brethren, my heart's desire first, he says this in Romans 10, 9, and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. There's an earnest gospel heart of Paul to see the conversions of people, and he had a big burden for his own countrymen, the Israelites. Even though he was an apostle of the Gentiles, he finds himself frequenting the synagogues 
as the outpost where he could open up the scriptures and find Gentiles there as well. Galatians 4.19, again, we're looking at the hope that Paul has for God's children. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until, you know, we are one slide ahead, Mike. Can you go back to Paul's hindrances? Thank you. No wonder. Um, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. We had this red. What were they doing? Let's look at some satanic activities that are taking place unknowingly to our visible eyes. The scripture says that there are spiritual wars, there are spiritual activities going on in the invisible world. When we're told to put on the whole armor of God because we wrestle what not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of this world. Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeks whom he may devour. Second Corinthians 12, 7. <clears throat> I have received wonderful, such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. When Paul is saying here, but Satan hindered me, is it possible that from this infliction that he got, that is described as a messenger from Satan to torment me, that he he had some physical infirmity of a sort that could have been prohibiting him from going where he might have wanted to go. That's a possibility. I don't necessarily think that, but I'm just going to suggest that. But these, to me, seem to be more legitimate verses in giving us an idea how Paul by Satan was hindered. So here we find Paul in his first really missionary journey when he's sent off by the church in Antioch. He meets with a, uh, a reputable uh, governing official. He was a deputy, he's called. Elimus the sorcerer, who was an enemy, we'll find out, for that is what his name means, opposed them, that is Paul and Barnabas, and tried to turn the proconsul. that was the individual a high-seated official that Paul was witnessing to. But this Elimus the Sorcerer was trying to turn the proconsul from the faith. And Paul responds by saying this, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So here we have a definite example of hindrance where the son of the devil, this Illimus the sorcerer, he's classified as such, and he's standing in the way of the conversion po- potential of, of uh, the proconsul whose name was uh, uh, Sergius Paulus. Okay, look at this, Acts 14.2. This is after it says that he sp- so spoke that multitudes believed. Just after it says that he spoke in such a way, that's why preaching should be done in teaching in such a way that it has effects on the audience. And right after that it says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, Acts 14.2. 
hindrances that Paul encountered, to me, this seems like a demonic plot. Another one, Acts 17.5. The Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. We read that earlier, and if we read further down, Paul has to flee for his life. Those, I believe, would be possibly the... We don't have any explanation what these hindrances were. He simply says, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Now let's look at the last one. Paul's... There we go, Paul's hope. Verse 19 and 20 say, For what is our hope? What's the goal? What's our objective or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This was Paul's hope that he would be able to present them before Christ in a way that would be for glory and joy. Again, look at some passages. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire, pray to God for Israel that they might be saved. That was his desire and hope for them. I read earlier, my dear children, for whom I'm... Uh, who, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is Paul's desire for them, that Christ would be formed in them. He's still calling them, in a sense, this is to the Galatians, that they are in a stage of childbirth. We heard about a child born. Our sister was in labor yesterday. Paul is describing his anxiety over the Thessalonians and what their condition was in, in hopes that it would result in Christ being formed in them. This is powerful, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have promised you to one husband, or I have betrothed you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. The ultimate is that Paul is going to have to in the long run, give an account of his labors over the churches. He had a care for the churches. He visited the churches. He nourished the churches. You are our glory and joy. And here's Hebrews 13, 17, which I think kind of wraps it up in a way. It says, obey your leaders or elders that could be there and submit to them. That's in the local church. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account are you listening out there, elders? Are you listening to this? This is serious stuff, brother, is it? Obey your leaders. I, if someone's going to obey me, I, be, I better be giving good counsel. I better be wise in what I say. I better be a good example. If I'm going to be viewed as an elder, I want to walk worthy of that vocation. It, especially if people are going to submit not to me, but to the Lord. Elders or leaders are not over shepherds they're under shepherds we're not the shepherd we are under the shepherd of of the sheep of the shepherd who shepherds the sheep the lord is my shepherd and every single child of god should be wanting and able to say the lord is my shepherd and what the under shepherd should want to say is we want you to be shepherded by your lord and we want to just help you along the way as we follow in line with you we're in the same trenches we're in the same journey and we all want to be under the lordship of jesus christ 
Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's what leaders should be wanting to do. Elders, are you listening? Watch over their souls as those, that is the elders, who will give an account. Paul's talking about an account that he's going to have to give. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. What does Paul say? What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul's desire was as a shepherd along with Silas and Timothy that they could minister the flock of the Thessalonians so that at the second coming or when they have to give an account to the Lord, they can do it with glory and joy over the way in which the Thessalonians responded. Now let's try to draw some applications from this. We've been trying to talk about Paul, Paul's um, heart, Paul's hindrances, and Paul's hope. We're supposed to be imitators of him. We are 20 plus centuries after Paul. The word of the Lord endures forever. So Paul for us in Silas and Timothy are examples for us so that we want to mimic them. So we need to be foreseeing what our lives are like. What are we living for? Our brother was talking about, uh, you know, when he was reading those passages in Luke chapter 7 about how he wanted to make that passage applicable to himself and that passage to himself and all of us for that matter. We need to do the same thing in the Word of God. We need to know how to take the Word of God and bridge the gap of time and make it applicable to us in the 21st century. Even though things are very different, we don't walk in sandals or robes and men don't have to have long beards and all those kinds of things, but we still have the word of the Lord that endures forever that we're expected to be obedient to and follow. So, we want to be imitators of him. Let's talk about ourselves now in regard to our hearts. We talked about Paul's heart. How much do you care about others how much do others mean to you are you preoccupied with yourself think of how sacrificial Paul was he was even willing he says to hazard his life for the name of the Lord Jesus for the people of God either for the gospel to be proclaimed or for the those that had re recipients of the gospel to feed the flock of God he was willing to even hazard his own life what kind of sacrifice do we have for one another? And I think that hinges on what kind of care do we have for one another. There's a natural care that we have for our children, for our parents, for our, our siblings, etc. That's natural. What is supernatural is that you and I didn't know each other, maybe till even recently. I just got to know these dear people, some of them up here. I love them. I know they love the Lord and they're God's people. And I, like you, I care for you. And I want you to care for me. And I think we should all care for one another. How can I say that? Because the Bible tells us in Thessalonians that when they heard the word, they received the gospel and what? They became imitators. We were now mimickers, the Thessalonians, of Paul and Silas and Timothy. So let's challenge ourselves. Elders, do you care for the flock? Deacons, are you serving the body? Do you love the Lord? Do you love his people? The two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God, that's what happens when you get saved. 
And also what, what happens when you get saved, you love his people. Loving your neighbor as yourself. My closest neighbor are my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know I have nearby people that live near me and they're unsaved. I want to love them too, of course. But the kind of love that is had between believers with believers is off the charts. The reason why it is is because the scripture says about that brother, he's one or sister for whom Christ died. If Jesus died for you, do you realize how valuable that makes you? If the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, had to leave the throne of heaven where he was praised day and night, holy, 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 come into a scene where he's despised and rejected of men so that he could go to Calvary's cross and pay the debt of your sin and make you one of his own children. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a great God we have. And every one of you here that are born again, you're one for whom Christ died. And I and you need to have that understanding of our communion with one another. Now, I might not be the easiest guy to get along with. I understand that, and I don't blame you. So let me use myself as an example. But still, you're expected to love me. If you can't get intimate with me and friendly with me, you can at least pray for me and in some ways show your care for me. That's what we need to have in our body as God's people. I think as Americans, we're... We're almost born in a sort of a distorted way, and we're off to a bad start, not just because of sin, but I'm saying as Americans, and this is not something new or something that I discovered, but I think it's very evident in other countries compared to this country that we are very selfish people. We are very independent. We, we don't think of ourselves corporately. We don't think of ourselves as a body. I'm coming to worship with God's people. We are one family. And one of the reasons why I think we don't experience that or we don't realize that the way we should is because we don't, go enough, we don't get enough persecution. And I'm not saying I'm looking for persecution. Um, I'm not signing up for that necessarily. But... I just think that we have it easy in a way. In America, it may, it may get more difficult, but you know what's going to happen when it does? God's people are going to start huddling together. We're going to start seeing each other as really a brother in Christ who's got the spirit of Christ in them, who's willing to stand up for the truth and suffer the consequences for Jesus' sake. That's what happens. Caring for one another. Do we have a heart like the one we should be mimicking, like Paul's, for instance. The hindrances. Do you give Satan his rightful place? How active is Satan in your life? You're probably hoping that he's not active at all. I don't want him near me. If he was near Paul, if he pestered Paul, if Paul experienced him, Jesus experienced him, We're told to resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. We're told to put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Spiritual wickedness in high places. That is the normal Christian life. I don't think we realize the unseen realms that are out there and the activity of Satan. I think more often than not, I have attributed some of the setbacks that 
disappointments or, or something that messes up in my, my Christian walk, I ascribe it more to natural things and maybe I should to supernatural things to the devil. We read earlier, Peter says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, you have an adversary. But that's not a bad thing because if you're not an adversary, the opposite of that would be a friend. So the more the Bible says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The closer you get to the Lord, like Job was upright, one that feared God, and he eschewed evil, it says, Job 1.1. Guess who was a target for the devil? Satan. But praise God, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Martin Luther recognized it in one instance that he was that Satan was so real that he literally took his ink bottle and he threw it at him. Smashed against the wall, of course. He's not a physical being. And we're, we're going to talk more about Satan next week. I don't want to give a whole lot about him. Next week I would lock, like to talk about this week is being imitators of Paul. Next week, as it says, what does the gospel transform us into? Imitators of the Lord, and of us, the apostles. Today is being imitators of the apostles. Next week will be imitators of the Lord. How else can we be imitators of the apostle Paul? We should expect to have satanic onslaughts, attacks. He is the adversary. Our brother was reading in Revelation 20, uh, 12, rather, that he's an accuser of the brethren. We're not in some kind of a bubble that we're protected from satanic influence or power. He is definitely there. He's called the prince of the power of the year. He's the god of this world, 2 Corinthians 4 describes him as. He's a real character. This is not a comic strip uh, kind of a character. This is not folklore. This is a real deal. Satan is real. And that's what I mean by, we, by saying, are we giving his rightful place? And I don't mean... Let him step into my life. But let us not be naive and think that uh, the devil's not going to touch me. I'm, if he touched Paul, if he, if he engaged in someone like a Paul, and you can be sure that he did in all of the other apostles as well, why shouldn't we think that it's going to happen to us as well? But we have a defense, praise God. We have one another that can aid us in being able to overcome the onslaughts of the devil. We have the word of God in our hands that we can read the scriptures. One brother one time was having difficulty with his conversion. He was just a new believer. And he was really, he was going, trying to go to sleep and he couldn't sleep. He kept thinking, I don't think I'm saved. I don't think. He had great doubts that came upon him. And this was like three in the morning. He could not fall asleep. Finally, he reached under his, uh, reached to, uh, to the side, um, his, um, coffee table there, uh, and he, he, he grabbed his Bible, he turned his light on, and he read right there, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So what he did was he stuck the Bible, put the light on, and he says, see, devil, that's what it says. Whoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He closed the Bible and he slept like a baby the rest of the night. That's the way we approach the devil. That's how we can overcome the hindrances that the devil can bring in our life. And lastly, let's look at now Paul's hope. 
let's think of our hope. How concerned are you about the day of the Lord? Paul's talking about that day of Jesus Christ in presenting the Thessalonians. He wants to be able to ha- to, for it to be a joyous day. What will it be like when you meet Christ? All right? Again, in our minds, he's sort of that distant personage to us. Yes, we're intimate with him. We love him and we can sense him. But at the same time, I think that we don't lay hold on eternal things. Look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Colossians 3 says, Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. For we must all give an account of ourselves to God. Will that be a day of joy? Or that be a day like, I'm not ready yet. I want to postpone it. I still got a lot of worldly things I want to kind of fit into my schedule, etc. Let's be mindful of the second coming of Christ. Actually, the second coming of Christ is mentioned in every chapter of the book of Thessalonians. I want to remind you, I, I, I asked you to consider reading the book of Thessalonians over and over again. If you want to get something out of this series on the book of 1 Thessalonians, read it. Only 78 or 9 verses in it. You can probably read it in 20 minutes, 15 minutes maybe. Read it and read it and read it. Listen to it maybe even. You'll, it'll start to become clearer and clearer, and hopefully what's being preached will just magnify certain things and we'll all be edified together as we try to journey through the book of Thessalonians. So how concerned are you about the day of the Lord when you meet, when you must give an account to the Lord Jesus? It kind of sends a little bit of a chill through our spine, I think, as we realize that we're going to have to meet the Lord. Now, perfect love casts out fear. So let's not confuse the fact that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus with a sense of accountability to the Lord. We must give an account of ourselves to him. And we want to be able to do it in the fashion that Paul did too. So that we can say, I did lay up for myself treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on earth. There's a, sometimes people put on a bumper sticker they used to, he that dies with the most toys wins. Oh, how contradictory that is. How many die with their treasures up in heaven? So we need to turn our eyes upon Jesus and look in his wonderful face and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Now these seem to be like high standards, don't they? But the high standards can be realized in the life of a believer because he's been born again. You have been empowered with a dynamic thrust of God's Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. So Paul could say, it is not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's wonderful to think that what Paul could say about himself like the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. You can say it. You can say it. Every believer in this room can say, Paul, you said it, but I can say it too. Paul, you said this, but I can say it too. Paul, you had what you had. I have what you have. The Bible says we have all received faith. And there are different measures. There are different gifts, undoubtedly. 
We're not on the same plane that way, but when it comes to the life of Christ in us, we have him in fullness. And we truly can be imitators, mimickers of the apostles. So don't read the Bible as if it is some distant resource or it's on the highest shelves of the library that you don't think you're going to ever reach. Paul would say, you're wrong, you're wrong. You've got what I've got. I'm not any better than you. If Paul walked up to this pulpit, he would say, brothers and sisters, we are in this together. The battles that you fight, I fight. The thoughts that you have, I have. As in water face answers to face, so the heart of man to man. We are all on the same playing field. We sometimes want to elevate Paul. Yeah, he's a chosen vessel. Or Timothy, what called the man of God, the only one referenced as the man of God in the New Testament. But yet at the same time, Paul says, when you, you idol worshipers in Thessalonica, when you heard the gospel and you believed it, you became... See, the gospel makes you become something that you weren't before. I am what I am by the grace of God. And when that grace of God changes your life, then you become imitators, mimickers of the apostles. And next week, we'll talk about it of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the gospel and its transforming power. And Lord, if anyone first and foremost does not know Jesus, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of their sins, would open their hearts and give them faith to trust you, Lord, and have that blessed assurance that Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior. And for us, Lord, that know you, O God, we pray that you would stir up our souls, help us, O God, to live as if we're living in the very, very last days of the last days. And the coming of Christ is soon. We're going to have to meet the Lord. And Lord, we want to be able to meet you, Lord, with our basket full, as it were. We want to be able to enter and get to the shoreline, Lord, with the sails uh, beaming and uh, uh, us coming in, Lord, with a cargo of, of, of praise and, and things, Lord, that you put in our hearts to fulfill in this lifetime. So, Lord, help us to not uh, dis- be discouraged and feel down. Help us to realize that what we have comes from you we have no power of our own but lord it's the power of the resurrection life of christ in us help us to live it out to your glory and honor we ask in jesus precious name amen